Hey, Pepin. Yo, yo. You know, I've been thinking a lot lately about thinking. Thinking? Yeah, you know how, like, your brain puts words and phrases together and sometimes they come out with new words and phrases that you haven't had before? Yeah, that happens sometimes. I mean, I do meditation, you know, and it's like my brain just comes up with the weirdest thoughts and I don't even know why. Like, is there even a reason why it would do that? I mean... I mean, there's got to be, right? There's got to be, like, some thoughts that happen because of reasons you think people look into that i bet they do wait hold on this is the entire field of psychology oh that's pretty cool we should get on somebody who knows stuff about psychology because i don't is she right there hi whoa whoa jeez <laughs> wow hey kirsten yes we need to talk okay that wasn't forced <laughs> no that was fucking perfect <laughs> Nathan, everything we've ever done is contrived, okay? It's fine. <laughs> Welcome back. So glad you guys could join us. I am here once again with my best friend, Nathan Pepin. How's it going, Pepin? Yo, yo, I'm doing well, meter. I'm moving my arms around. Oh, we got a workout. You got wild, oh, wild arms right now. Well, we got the camera on them because we're live streaming this. And so, you know, we're going to have a regular live stream schedule. I mean, not really, exactly, but we're going to, no. like, post it, you know, when we're going to do it. So if you want to get on that, you know, Check our Facebook. Make sure you know when we're streaming before we're streaming. Join the other 7,000 plus people who are liking our Facebook page and find out when we're going live. With that said, we are joined as well in studio by our special guest today, Kirsten from New Hampshire Communities Page. How's it going today? Um, super well. I'm actually really excited to answer all these different psychology questions you have. So let me get this straight. You have a psychology degree? Mm-hmm. So what's the official title of the degree? Um, Bachelor's of Arts in Psychology. Oh, that's so cool. And how long did you study for? Just four years? Yes. I see, I see. And I've heard that psychology is very difficult. In a sense, just because you have to kind of understand how human behavior works, and it's not always concrete. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would you say you had a good understanding of psychology before you went to class? Mm, I'd say yes. I could always kind of pick up on general like human behavior, how they, you know, how people felt kind of like empathic, mm-hmm. I guess. So if typically in the friend group, I was the person that most people went to for advice, actually, because mm-hmm. <laughs> they'd be like, oh, like, you know, why, why is my friend or um, in some cases back then, even my enemy like doing this to me? I'm like, well, maybe there are some circumstances that they have gone through where they feel like they need to um you know, be threatening or um, otherwise. Like I was really like when people were getting bullied in school, like people would come to me and ask for help and look for comfort. So I think psychology just kind of came naturally when I went into it. But, you know, kind of doing it in person when I was a teenager, just offering general advice is very different from anything else I've learned in psychology throughout my degree. Mm, So natural inclination um, turned into actually wanting to research and study that field and applying it yes Mm. and applying it of course that's extremely important a a Mm. lot of people will study something for a long time and then not know how or not take the action to actually apply it correct and that's important to you Mm -hmm. yeah well it's like i've had a couple clients at my job who have been psychologists and it's like they definitely did not practice what they preached it's like they they were a wreck just emotionally, physically, and financially. It's like, it's it's like you're supposed to be giving other people advice, right? No, I hear that. Um, I mean, even though I studied psychology, I don't personally 
plan to pursue it. Mm-hmm. I found over a period of time that I actually enjoyed marketing and business. And I guess it makes sense because my parents owned their own business while I was growing up. Yeah. And even though I loved working with people face to face, like halfway through my degree, I was like, okay, like I like psychology, but even I don't know if I have the capability of really giving certain types of people of device uh, advice because there are you know, people with PSD, uh, mm. PTSD, there are people and, you know, children who do have autism, which is something else that I studied there. Um, there's even criminal psychology, um, which is absolutely insane. It's more along the lines of, you know, understanding the process of finding a criminal, um, you know, versus actually being a therapist for a criminal. Yeah, that all makes sense. And it kind of sounds like maybe you pivoted into or like... It, it's not marketing is not necessarily psychology, but like psychology is there in marketing for certain. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know a lot about how people respond to cues, behaviors and uh, all that kind of stuff. And like we talked about earlier in the previous episode about uh, colors mm-hmm. and perception, you were speaking about how different colors incite different things into people and it causes different behaviors. So that's kind of like the intersect of definitely psychology and marketing. That's correct. And I mean, it doesn't even stop at the color of psychology when it gets into marketing. There's also certain ways you can word something in order to get someone's attention or draw in their interest. Like color is more along the lines of drawing attention and then the way you word an ad or an article or anything that you want to make clickbait online, um, adding that extra wording can really draw in the interest. Mm. I know, uh, I know with color, there's some, some, uh, concepts as far as like the psychology of color with brands and like what color your brand uses for, for, um, you know, their, well, their brand, yes. um, like Walmart being blue and like blue is like a trusting color. So a lot of people who choose blue and this is all stuff I've like read online. So I'm not nearly as learned as you, but. Uh, like blue being like a trusted color and red being like energetic and like actionable. Um, and then like, I, I think like orange was like new and like fun, um, like new wave stuff. Like I know a lot of um, like YouTube channels and stuff will use orange because it's, it catches people's attention for like, um, oh, this is something that I maybe I haven't seen before, which is super important when you're a content creator is having something unique. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I can see that. Um, You know, like maybe I don't remember exactly what Markiplier's YouTube channel looks like, but I can kind of imagine there being bright colors like orange. Mm -hmm. Um, When I have, you know, gone through studying different aspects of marketing, I kind of lean towards like um, orange being more of a industrial like rugged color like Mm -hmm. you know how home depot uses orange Mm -hmm. um and then john deere they don't use orange but they use yellow and green which is kind of that like rugged foresty but also like that energy in the same spectrum of orange Mm -hmm. so um you know colors don't have to mean like one thing or the other they could have a bunch of different meanings Mm -hmm. Um, but depending on what your brand is it is important what color you think to use I think it'd be super interesting that you can take a brand and maybe they started with, they used this color for a certain reason, or maybe they didn't, maybe it was just the color they chose and they were creating their brand. But, 
Uh, and over time, that brand can then influence how other brands are seen that have the same color. So mm -hmm. um, maybe We Need to Talk uses orange for our uh, for our logo. And then, um, you know, Home Depot uses orange. But and so Home Depot has made that become like a more rugged color, a more uh, do-it-yourself type of color that maybe over time, orange will be a funny color because we'll be the most popular color that people like orange oh yeah just like we need to talk of course yeah that would work is mm -hmm. that what your color is now mm -hmm. okay cool so one thing that that interplays with too is i mean christmas isn't a brand per se but mm -hmm. every time i try to wear like a green and red people will say oh you're looking kind of christmasy and it's one of those kind of things you can't avoid and it's like those two colors to guide, like it just brings this Christmas into people's mind, no matter what. It doesn't mm -hmm. like they don't care about, you know, how it works. It, I, I get annoyed because <laughs> I think this is an outfit that looks really good. And then they're like, no, hey, it's Christmas. <laughs> well, orange and black. That's like autumn, right? That's like the Halloween time. Oh my God, People are Halloween. thinking about that. Sorry, I just love Halloween so mm -hmm. much. Like the second you brought it up, I'm like, yes, we're like six weeks away. Mm -hmm. No, <laughs> now is now is the time to talk about autumn to talk about halloween like and i think uh it was what was it um august 1st i went into my local grocery stores like a shaw's mm -hmm. and they had a full halloween display on august 1st I'm like guys it's literally three months away right now and you're doing a full halloween display with candy like this is wild i'm excited though i like... think they were trying to dump their old <laughs> stock from last year probably Oh now, my god, that'd be kind of gross. <laughs> that's why I wouldn't buy them that early. What is something you learned in psychology that you think would be surprising to people who have not delved into like the four-year degree? Like so something that people think that's either the opposite or something which is just like kind of catches you off by surprise. Like, oh, that's a thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, I have two. Um, just because in the previous episode we had mentioned New Hampshire. Oh, yeah, in the previous episode we had mentioned New Hampshire. Um artist for autism mm -hmm. so before i had started my degree i did understand what autism was and there was a spectrum but i also thought that you know when these children are born and they're diagnosed whatever level they're diagnosed with you know at like roughly the age of one that you know that's how the rest of their life is going to be mm -hmm. um that's a misconception so there was this book that I read about this woman. I believe it's called Let Me Hear Your Voice. I do not remember the author, but it's about this mom whose daughter was diagnosed with like the most severe form of autism at the age of one. And she put in a ton of effort to make sure that her daughter was like well taken care of. And, um, you know, she went to all these different places that were really not helping her daughter just kind of like exasperating the issue mm -hmm. and she finally contacted this doctor and for a lack of a better explanation instead of just kind of like treating the issue he said that you basically have to you know almost 24 7 train your child and you know obviously the mom at first was kind of offended but she thought you know maybe this could work throughout the span of several years and starting her daughter on help at like the age of one year and three months she not only you know the daughter now lives like a completely normal life and appears to be like a typical functioning person can like hold a job um can mm -hmm. drive has friends 
has family. Um, but there are just so many people out there that might not know that that option is available. And knowing that, you know, New Hampshire Artists for Autism is trying to work towards that goal is absolutely amazing. So when she was describing it to me, I, I completely understood, you know, mm-hmm. the doctor told her that her daughter was never, you know, going to speak. But at two years, uh, Melissa's daughter was singing. So and that was with consistent effort of, you know, like repeating songs to her at night um, and like just really being around her all the time. And there needs to be more resources for um, children diagnosed with autism. So this is kind of my own personal story here. Okay. It kind of relates to this. So when I was born, I was fine. But then as I started getting, you know, older, uh, I forget what age exactly, uh, my parents brought me to the doctors and the doctor told them that uh, I was mentally retarded. You know, didn't have the word like autism back then for some reason, Mm -hmm. but essentially that's what they're trying to say. Right. Uh, Because essentially I had all these deficiencies. So I had, I couldn't like use scissors. I had a hard time using like any sort of like a tool. Uh, I couldn't speak. Well, I could speak, but. My speech was so bad that only my brother could understand me. My parents could understand me. So they would ask like my brother what I was saying so that he could translate for me. Oh, wow. And uh, my parents, when they heard that, you know, they said that I was mentally retarded. They're like, no, no, he, he, he just needs a little bit of uh, work. So they had these people kind of work with me, uh, you know, like throwing Frisbees and cutting giant scissors and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and eventually i came out of it for whatever reason now i still had speech issues and so i went to speech therapy for like a number of years a large number of years and i stopped at seventh grade and my speech even then after that was not very good as meter can attest Mm -hmm. but now my speech is for the most part pretty good i mean you literally run a podcast so yeah that's true (laughs) but i had no idea walking in (laughs) but but it's like i talked about this with my uh I had a therapist at one time, like a few years back, and he was, you know, told him about this. And his hypothesis was that maybe I was born kind of autistic or had uh, with with on the autism spectrum, and then I came out of it. Kind of similar how you're talking with that story, where mm-hmm. you, you can, if you put in certain work or you get the right, right kind of direction, you can kind of actually reverse that or kind of uh, mitigate a lot of the factors and effects. Right. Which I, I find to be interesting. And it, it might be applicable to me. It's not like diagnosed, of course. I can't say it for certain, but this is mm-hmm. this is what I know about my own like uh, medical history. Right. And it's intriguing. Yeah. But, you know, that just kind of going through that process going up and, you know, being able to give that to somebody else's child is, yeah, yeah. you know, imperative. Yeah. And I definitely support it because my brother is on the autism spectrum and it's definitely like a good cause and good kind of, uh, it, it's good to get information out there and kind of also help the cause, you know, not just information, try to like push it forward. Hey guys, Meter here, and I'm super excited about this. We worked out a deal with mybookie.ag to get our listeners a special promo code. This promo code will literally double your first deposit at mybookie. Between football season, the MLB playoffs right now, the start of the NBA, NHL, go Bruins. It's time to get off the sidelines. It's time to get into the action. Working with MyBookie is a big deal. And so is the free money they're giving our listeners. Double deposit with promo code NEED TO TALK. 
I only know two things in life. The Patriots are going to win, and my bookie is the best online bookie out there. You think I'm wrong? Prove it. Put your money where your mouth is. Do the smart thing. Go to mybookie.ag and get that cash. Mybookie.ag, promo code need to talk. Back to the show. And I do have one more interesting fact about psychology. Okay. And this one, this one is not as long, but it is interesting. Um, I don't remember the exact statistic because it's been so many years. But when somebody is, you know, the victim of a crime and then they have to, like, testify and kind of, like, you know, pick out a suspect later amongst, you know, several that they line up. Mm. It's usually more than 50% wrong. Like, so there are, you know, tons of potentially innocent people like going to jail and having all these other different issues because memory recall is like poor even after just 24 hours. Mm-hmm. How much do you know about that? Because I have a few questions. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> you, you just hit like a real. So Nate has been talking about memory recall, memory being shitty for as long as I can possibly remember, especially on this show. He's brought it up probably like once a month every single month so yeah definitely something he's fascinated about so that's an awesome thing. i mean i can try my best because oh, this is my thing like she probably doesn't remember very well oh, just... <laughs> i'll try my best but you know i studied psychology not neuroscience so. Mm-hmm. so so from my perspective i tend to be more aware of things so i'm aware that i don't know like if i see some person on the street and he starts talking to me and then next week same person starts talking to me or you put them in a lineup and ask me which one was the one that you talked to. I'm like, I don't know. Like I can make a guess. Like I'd be very honest. I'm making a guess, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if it's that way for other people because other people like they might see that, you know, think they saw that person there in the lineup and think, Oh yeah, it's definitely that guy. Is that what they're finding in the studies or is it more just like the fact that they're structuring your experiment or the design where this person is supposed to come up there and just choose somebody and the person's like, oh, yeah, I think it's that guy. Like, like it's actually from what I remember, there is, you know, a pressure, you know, on the police force side to kind of have the victim make a decision. Mm -hmm. And since typically the people that they line up are very similar looking to each other. Um, actually, in some cases, I remember reading one specific case where the, you know, the police force like brought in this lineup of guys and there was one that they really just wanted to bag for themselves because they had like all these different, um, you know, possible allegations against them. And they would kind of manipulate the victim into, you know, saying, like, oh, do you think it's him? Like, he looks kind of guilty. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, no, I this was something that I read. I don't remember where it happened, but if it happens to, you know, like in one instance, it must be happening in many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's priming, right? Because they're priming the suspect. Now that person's more likely to choose that because they're going to look for guilty factors within the person's face. Yes. The power of suggestion. Oh, my God. That's that's kind of despicable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and, wild. Sorry nah. for the bad news. Well, okay. <laughs> Don't commit a crime. <laughs> but but Nate, I think your memory is like above and beyond that, though, because like uh, we have the story about you seeing the girl that you, your first girlfriend, you dated her for years and you see her at a bank 10 years later and you're like, I don't even know if that's her or not. Like like she went up and talked to him face to face and he still he just greeted her like a normal customer because he didn't even know it was the girl he dated for how many years? 
three. How, wait, okay, that is that is a little bizarre. So may, maybe your brain's a little more um, bad at per, at like personal recall of like faces and things like that. Yeah. Well, I was like eighty percent certain it was her, and so she okay she comes up she's like. And she's just waiting there. I'm like, hey, hey, welcome to the bank. Uh, you know, we'll be right with you. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's like, I'm like, wait, is that is that the person I know? Did I date her? <laughs> Have I been inside her? Yes. No, I don't know. 80% I, chance. I'm a lady and you're talking about this. <laughs> just, I'm going to pretend like you didn't say less. <laughs> oh, my God. But like... <laughs> No, don't. Okay, if it has anything to do with his last sentence, it wasn't going to. Oh, yeah. Now I might have to. No, read a bunch of unfensive crayons. Like, oh my me? god. So, but uh, like, I think the the concept there is is interesting. That like, if like you said earlier, like if it's happening in one instance, it must happen in a lot of other instances. So you can't be the only one. So if you were in a police lineup trying to pick out your past girlfriends, like, would you pick the right one? Uh, would you question whether or not you've been inside especially if the police really wanted really wanted to nab one of them well actually no if it's past girlfriends i'd probably choose the hottest one because i want to show that i got the hottest one so that's a bad test okay mate. oh my god so you would go into it just trying to be impressive yes whether or not you actually dated that woman right right exactly Oh my god! <laughs> I know. Um, are you familiar with any like uh, with like many of the experiments? And there's like the Milgram experiment and like um, like the Stanford Stanford Prison experiment. Yeah, we did. Oh god, I'm trying to remember what they are. Um, uh, I did read about them, but I don't know why I don't remember the. Can details. you explain the Stanford one? So the Stanford Prison experiment was done by Philip Zimbrato, and I think it was in the '60s, maybe in the '70s. But I'm pretty sure it was '60s. And it was supposed to be just an average kind of test about uh, power dynamics and anonymity. And so they turned something like way out. So they were having these college students who kind of uh, agreed to be part of the study. And then one group was going to be the police and the other group was going to be prisoners. I do remember this one. Yep. And so what they actually had to do was they got the the uh, prison guards to group to like uh, dress up and have like shades like the shades were a very big part of it for the anonymity mm-hmm. and they actually had them arrest the prisoners which was you know just just to keep going with the theme of the experiment right and then they brought them into like the basement and they turned into like a makeshift sh- uh, cell mm-hmm. and they essentially had them just be you know the guards for these prisoners and it got really messed up really quick because uh they did strip searches they put people in quarantine and there's a lot of abuses of, you know, power. Yep. And where it got even more confusing is that the Philip direct, uh, that the director of the experiment, Philip Zimbardo, started becoming like a prison kind of... Uh, warden? Prison warden mentality. Because, you know, he started... Stopped kind of seeing it as an experiment because this was like an egregious kind of like a ethics violation. You know, having a strip search happen in this kind of experiment, that's like way too far. Right. Or some of the bewildering humiliation that was going on, like such as, you know. But he kind of turned into the prison warden kind of thing and the whole experiment got like super fucked up and eventually one of his uh friends was like phil this has to stop this has gone too far and he's like oh yeah then he's like all oh, right like, they're just college fans. students they're not actually yeah criminals 
and there's one guy in particular who's like super cruel and kind of uh, maligned, and he's gotten a lot of criticism. But th- the whole kind of thing with the story is, what is evil? Is evil situational? Is it the authority and the power that we're given? And also, does the anonymity of evil have a factor? So if you are anonymous, you know, let's let's say you have like a mask on, are you more willing to do things which are bad as opposed to if you are you know maskless and have your identity right out there? Is that going to cause a difference? And also, does the just fact that you have power over other people cause a difference? Because there's the examples of where they replicated the studies with uh, nursing homes and also mental asylums. So they've done these tests where they put people into mental asylums mm-hmm. who are completely fine, completely normal. And the nurses and doctors will treat these people like they're insane. And they will, you know, exercise their power. And what's also weird is the people in that role of, uh, you know, being a patient, they will start to act crazy. They'll start to get those effects. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? That was a great movie. Mm-hmm. No clue what you're talking about, but I agree. It's a it's a movie where, uh, well, it's always a book first, but in, um, I didn't read the book. I just saw the movie. Yep. And um, Jack Nicholson <laughs> stars in it, and he's just like a normal guy, and he does something bad, and uh, he claims insanity mm. to get out of going to jail. So he goes to the mental asylum, and um, like he's not crazy like technically he's not supposed to be there uh and then like over time like he just continues to cause disorder in the mental asylum and then uh like over time he, he like bad stuff ends up happening to him and stuff like that but yeah. i don't should we spoil it like no don't okay, spoil, spoil it yeah yeah no it's a good yeah movie. don't you spoil watch the movie that's like 30 years old okay but Come like, on, he hasn't people. seen it okay hey. well are you gonna watch it uh, well, that's a no it's a, is it a good movie because maybe yeah, i'll do is. a reaction it, to it is you should do a reaction to it yeah mm-hmm. yeah i haven't done those in a while but i need to start it again okay. anyway uh what were you saying? So like, is it like that's, I was just connecting one flew over the cuckoo's nest to what you were saying there, but I, I've seen some rebuttals to that experiment that it's not like, and it's so hard with, with like anything with psychology to draw any conclusions because it's like, is that people in general or is it those people in that situation? It's like, I've seen a lot of criticism saying, well, you got a bunch of straight white boys doing it and going to a rich boy college. Like. These are, you know, good old boys doing it. So, of course, they're going to do that because that's, like, the type of mentality that that is just showing that rich, white, privileged males will abuse power. That's all it's showing. And we know that by history. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the criticism I've seen. But I think what, what they're really getting at there is, like, how can you draw a conclusion on psychology at all in such an open experiment where there are so many factors and with human mind, which can be drastically different from person to person how do you do an experiment at all so there's a lot of ways to like respond to that uh kirsten you have any like good response right off so basically you just want to understand how people with you know different backgrounds of all sorts can kind of either i mean from my experience and what i've read most people tend to perform the same no matter what situation they're in um, in psychology tests, um, you're actually not even supposed to give, you know, the, the the subject an idea of what it's exactly about. Because mm-hmm. if you tell them too much about the test, then they're going to perform in, you know, a not organic way. Mm-hmm. They're going to try to give you the results you either want or don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so when people run these tests, they're kind of just going off of like typical, typical human behavior, which, you know, could be different for some versus others, but we all have the same types of emotions. Um, a lot of us have like the same types of fears and joys and we go into something, we don't know what it is. We're just going to act naturally. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know what your rebuttals are for, you know, like the Stanford prison case or the mm-hmm. other one who had mentioned where they just kind of switch it out for uh, medical types of studies. But mm-hmm. from what I understand, people just kind of do what's natural. And if, you know, power becomes natural to somebody in a, you know, a subject in a case study, then mm-hmm. they're going to go with their, I have power now, I can do what I want. They're feeding off of that like ego side of their human behavior. Mm-hmm. See, I disagree with the rebuttal because simply because it's not how science works, mm-hmm. right? So the Stanford prison experiment, it gave credence to something, evidence for something. Now, what the evidence means, it, it, you know, it's not conclusive. It, it's a study. It's one single study. And maybe the demographic is the issue. Maybe you test this one demographic and it has this result. But maybe you test another demographic, maybe it has another result. Maybe certain things within the methodology were flawed. But what you have to do is control for those things and you know, keep retesting it. You know, of course, in ethical ways, not in the same way they tested for. But you can actually determine whether this is a uh, class-based, whether this is race-based, whether this is uh, sex-based. You can do all those testings through further psychological experiment. Now, you could say that the fault, you know, to make the claim that this, you know, this one factor, this classic group is this and therefore you know of course it applies here but it doesn't apply to these other places you have to make a very good psychological argument for that to be the case it has to be well established you know that's well established in certain like uh sociological kind of niches but overall in psychology it's not like an established fact so I, I i would reject that but you know it's fine to say you know have that be your hypothesis you can test that hypothesis by doing the same exact experiment or a better experiment with a better methodology within other gr- groups of people and you would want to see if those tests came up with the same result. And also, it does add here, the experiments, most psychological experiments are kind of faulty to begin with because of the reason that they're always going to be on you know, college students. Like, mm-hmm. college students are just what they do psychological experiments on because that's where the universities are and that's where they get you know, the most amount of people kind of applying for it. They can get experiments where done with other people, but they're very, very tough to do and they tend not to work out very well. Whereas, you know, you get people who are already there and, you know, want a little, little extra money or get some credit for their uh, psychology degree or whatever degree they're doing, they'll, they'll do it. So that's a methodological flaw that's not unique to just that experiments. It's it's there with all psychology experiments for the most part. You know, not, not all, but large, large portion of them. Well, there actually is, you know, lots of different types of research and yes you know there is kind of the college student one where they're easily accessible Mm. um but there are research studies on you know children you know people middle age old age like there's a real wide spectrum of Mm. you know psychology there is this whole class that i took that was based on child psychology and how they grow up over time Mm -hmm. you can't really get those same results if you're studying a college student because they're already grown up Mm -hmm. but when you're studying like a child and they'll have research studies that last years like years and if you're studying a child you kind of get to understand like you know at what typical age on average do all these different kids start to understand object permanence Mm -hmm. which is you know for example like if you were to put a ball in the middle of the room and then put a blanket over that ball 
that child will know that the ball is under the blanket and they'll still they'll move the blanket and they'll grab the ball so that's object permanence um you know then there's like the ability to kind of pick up on facial cues mm-hmm. um which i think is actually earlier than object permanence so a child can kind of like even like a baby like roughly i think it's six to eight months can kind of understand like you know if you're smiling at the baby like the by the baby will smile back but when they're like the first couple of months they might just like look at you and like understand that you exist but if you like hid behind a blanket they might cry because they don't know where you are and uh if you look angry they're going to react in like a way where they're like kind of worried it's like weird there's a string of studies they did with some babies, like newborn babies, and they had the father like stick his tongue out at the baby, and the baby would stick his tongue out, you know, you know, to reply. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> and it's, it's like, how did they even know what a tongue is? Like they've never seen a tongue before. They don't have a concept of it. But when you stick your tongue out, it sticks its tongue out. Like it's so weird. To the fastest growing um, rate of un- oh yeah, the fastest growing rate of understanding is when you're, you know, a baby to, I believe it's 10. It's like when your brain is like really sponging everything in. And then mm. once you enter your teens um, and later, it does slow down a bit. But, you know, it's just kind of like a curve. It like goes up and then back down. And then you just kind of level out as an adult. Mm-hmm. Did- so that's why they learn so quickly. Like it, it might be weird to think of a child as like, or even a baby. Like how do they know what a tongue is? It's like... Well, you know, it, it for one, it comes naturally uh, naturally for them. And then two, they have that ability to pick up things so quickly because that's when the brain is like coherent. It's just like, I have to learn everything as quickly as possible. True. One thing you brought up was uh, object permanence. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've tried to talk to people about. And I, I'm seeing if you're in the same camp as me. Because it's like for me when I was growing up, though I didn't know what it was called, but the object permanence idea was in mm-hmm. my head. And I'm like, how do we like babies figure this stuff out? Like, how does that actually happen in the brain? And some people, it's like, well, you know, they just learn it, right? Or, of course, there's things here, you know? Right. But to me, it's, it's such a weird thing that we can even learn that through the brain and like acquire that skill. Is that something that amazes you or is it just kind of like more like fact of life? I oh, know, it's absolutely amazing. Okay. And another random thought just. And I had seen this on the internet a little while ago, but if you really think about it, the brain named itself. Yes. Yeah. 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 It's kind of a weird thought. Um, But back to object permanence, I don't really see it as more of like just a, oh, like they just learn it. You know, it's a pathway of neurological instances that allow them to kind of connect and understand that there is a ball under that blanket. And since my mother put the blanket over the ball, I should be able to, if I have enough strength, move the blanket to grab the ball. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they do. <laughs> Hopefully they do. Oh, man. It'd be so sad to see a kid trying to get a blank, uh, ball out from under a blanket. <laughs> you know, if there's ever like a magician who has a baby, you could mess up that kid. So oh, bad. my God. <laughs> Wait, is the is the baby like now it's here and it's gone? Yeah. Where's the baby? No, it's gone. Real. No, no, no. Like, look. Like, oh, you're doing it to the baby. Yeah, like, not like, with the baby. You pull like a ball behind like a, a a thing, and then you just move the sheet, and the ball's gone. <laughs> you just like screw up their object permanence. <laughs> oh my god! No, that's so true though. Actually, when I was um, 
Oh god, when I was a teenager, we had this like a uh, safe night at school. It's just this like basically giant uh, co-ed slumber party, and they have like different types of entertainment. There was a magician slash uh, slash hypnotist there, and he had these like few little um, sponge balls like in his hand, and he like squeezed his hand. And then he let that, like, he just opened up his palm and they were gone. And then my friend who was sitting next to me, um, he felt something, like, grow under his butt. And he, like, he, like, gets up and he looks at the chair and, like, all the little sponge balls over there. But let me just, let me, like, just kind of put this into perspective even further. The magician was sitting, like, or, like, standing next to me and, like, showed me this trick. But then... Nick was sitting like basically where you are across the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he felt them grow. I'm just like, oh my God, something's happening and I'm so scared. <laughs> How did he do that? He wasn't even remotely near him. I'm like, oh my God, are you a magician or like you, I don't know, like a, a wizard or something? So this actually for me goes back to the memory point because I, I'm really into magic and kind of that sort of thing. Mentalism. Mentalism. Mm-hmm. And what magicians will say is that how a person recalls a trick is always going to be way, way different than how the trick actually happened. The person's going to fill in all these little details and things that happened, and they might even make the trick, you know, even better. So, you know, from your point of view, he was never near, you know, your friend or anything. Right. And it was, it's just impossible. But where how it probably actually happened, it was very possible, and you probably just, like, threw it under there while you, like, kind of uh, sat up or something. It's probably a very, like, easy trick to do. But it's like the, your recollection and you're kind of trying to figure out what happened in the moment solidifies a false memory. Yeah. And now that false memory is what you actually remember. And there's no possible way you could figure it out now because. Like, it's just been, it's just so far gone. There was another guy that showed me a card trick and it was really just he had a deck of red cards. But then he pulled out a blue card and he put it on top of the deck of red cards. Mm. And he was just like, OK, I'm going to tap it. And then all of the tops of the cards are going to turn blue. And I was like, yeah, OK. Like I literally just saw it's a deck of red cards and he flicked it and then he started moving all the cards and they were all blue and i'm just like i'm done i'm done nope no more magicians can't do it i'm scared (laughs) i did a trick one time where it's this was at one of your mom's parties actually steve Mm -hmm. and so i was doing the trick for somebody was it nick or somebody uh anyway so i uh took a card and i snuck into their pocket at some point you know just kind of talking to them and showing them another trick and when I stuck the card into their pocket, it wasn't for, say, that trick. It was for the trick after. But I had him sit down then. And then so I had him sit down. I did a trick. And then the next trick was to try to force a card. So I had, I had the extra card there. I forced a card for him to choose it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I made it kind of disappear into the deck. And then I'm like, boom, boom, boom. And the card is now in your pocket. It's like, what? And so he you know, gets up and he's like, what? What? And he you know, pulled it out. Now, from his point of view, there's no way I could have gotten that card into his you know, pants pocket because he's been sitting the whole time. Right. But really, that trick happened before that trick even happened. That's... This is the part where he tells you there's a card in your pocket. Oh, my God. Don't you dare. <laughs> that oh, 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 my. <laughs> yeah, sit, sit up. There's a great right in there. <laughs> there's an offensive crayon in your back pocket. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And what's also amazing is, uh, you know, splitting episodes into multiple parts because we don't have enough time to record and, uh, you know, get new episodes out. So, hey, next time, episode part two of We Need to Talk. Check out Kirsten because she's amazing. Next time, We Need to Talk.
Stop.